Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Hazan et ahola kulo betubo Bechen bechesed urachamin Uno ten lecharot hobasar Ki leolam kazdo Utubo hagadol Tami lochasar lanu Me'alet sar lanu Ma'azo leolam ba'et did you want? I, I just thought it felt cooler. It does feel cooler. Okay. All right. All right. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, and all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Did he select you from all the peoples? Who did he select from all the peoples? Israel. He selected Israel from all of the peoples. And we have been joined to Israel. And aside from or outside of Israel, there is no salvation. Amen? Amen. Period. That's good. Okay. Now that the congregation is complete, we can continue. Everything's now... All right. Amen. All right then. For those of you who uh, did not have the privilege, yay, the opportunity to pray with us this morning and missed out on several of the many hundreds of announcements. We, we do want to uh, we do want to remember that the well the old people that are in the bathroom. Where are the people? We'll start with the young ones and then we'll get. Oh, it's a good idea. All right. Well, the first thing we want to remember is yeah, all your stuff's been snatched. Now. All right. Two two lovely soft chairs. No, 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 two in the back. Two in the back. Okay. So 
So we've lost 40 minutes with everyone outdoing one another in brotherly love. I'm sitting with Roger. So, uh, yeah, we have a couple of announcements. And I think to, uh, to echo Rav Upham's comments at our Torah service, God is at work in your midst, and if you don't see it, you must be blind. That's a paraphrase, right? <laughs> Pretty much what I said. First off, uh, a great big mazel tov to Roger and Juicy for their 50th wedding anniversary. Yes. So um, I, I, for one, am extraordinarily grateful to have Roger um, ministering with the men. Second uh, announcement, of course, is that uh, Susie and Scott Martin last week celebrated 30 years of work. And... Uh, I've known Scott longer than I've known anybody in this room other than my wife and children. He's a good man. But he's known okay. Mrs. Martin longer than uh, Which is scary. That's right. Other than family. We were just talking about family. So family there it is. So thank you very much. And then uh, I think the next announcement would be the fact that the fellowship is growing. And uh, don't drink the water. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Taylor, newly wed. Mr. and Mrs. Traffic County. Um, Taylor got up. Uh, did the Moftir and then called up his bride as she did the uh, reading from the Apostolic Scriptures and then he announced that they are with Chuck. So, for those of you hosting any type of gatherings, don't offer wine to Lori. There it is. Doctors in the UK recommend one glass a week, I think. Is what and I... And I love those men. <laughs> yes, sir. As it, as it was at the Shabbat table around our, at our place last night, I was pouring wine for everybody, and I got to Lori and said, it's with great honor that I do not serve. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. For effect, of course. Okay. Did I... For uh, the community uh, normally does not meet during the uh, month of July, um, not because it's too hot, not because we don't want to meet. We don't meet so that I can give the privilege of a break to my bride. For the first time in, I think, five years now, uh, we will be meeting in July on the fourth Shabbat of July because um, the Gordons have opened their home. So we will be meeting then. Second Shabbat in July is still open for any who want the extraordinary blessing. That's a hint to all of you who have home. But it doesn't have to be a Shabbat service. It does not. It can be any part of it. Right. It could. It could be. It could be just a Torah discussion. It could just be Oneg. 
It could, it could be just Havdalah. So if, uh, if you're interested in doing that, please let me know. No. 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 <laughs> we won't even mention on the tape who that was. All right. I think... Am I done with the Okay. It's the 40th portion of the year out of... 54. 54. Parashat Balak. And uh, we're in Numbers chapter 22, picking up in verse 2. There is one more announcement as you're turning in your scriptures, and that is next Tuesday. Som Tammuz. Som Tammuz. It's the fast of Tammuz. This begins the three weeks of trouble, ending on the uh, ninth of Av, right? Ninth of Av. And uh, Av, Av is right before Elul. And Elul will be brought on the shofar every day to remind us of the repentance. But now we think about our sin. We're reminded of our failure. We're reminded of the need for Messiah Yeshua. We're reminded of what's happened to our people, to the temple, to Israel, to Jerusalem, etc. So I, I want to encourage you. This is not a, a fast that's mandated in the Scripture, in the Torah. It's not. However, I would argue that the words of the prophet cannot come to pass that these days of mourning and fasting would be turned into days of gladness and joy. Unless in your life, they are times of fasting and mourning. They have to be. If they're not, then you are causing the words of God's prophet to not come to pass. You can fast with all of Israel, with my family, and with the rest of the community, or you can just act like the pagans. It's up to you. <laughs> yes, sir? Remember that if you have health needs, you must not fast. In but fact, it's a mitzvah not, not to fast. That's right. If you're pregnant yeah. or if you're a child, you must not fast. Exactly or the right. Of a pregnant. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that would work. I think there's a halakhic thing on whether or not you've lost a kidney. So we'll work on that private. Let's get that. That's if you can if you can drink wine. I, well, I don't know. Repeat again. That's um, how when it starts with it, this is a simple fast. So sun up to sundown this Tuesday. So you can have a really big breakfast yeah. before dawn. If yeah. You want. Get up early. Eggs. The whole deal, no bread, no bacon, right? I'm not. I don't. I don't really. I don't really like the turkey bacon thing. I mean, if good housekeeping is coming into your place with the cameras like they do here, how do they know? They don't. You eat chicken sausage. Chicken sausage. I like that. It's a very common thing now. It's okay. So the health conscious have changed the nature of bacon. Okay. For those. For those. 
Yes, ma'am. Is this Antichrist's pizza party then? That's about yes. that. I think the last time we no. had a fast end on Tuesday, we did break fast as a team since we'd come together before sundown. That's a good point. Okay. We're actually getting together after sundown. Okay. That would require us on the first day of the week. Okay. That would actually mean eating after class because sundown's not till like almost 9 o'clock. No, no, no. No, it's earlier now. It's, 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 it's that time when you add the, the time for hot right, dollar. But it's like so, 8.30. Yeah. By the way, that, that rings a bell. It reminds me that uh, how many of you are listening to the men of Torah classes online? And you listen, especially the ladies. Are you listening? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're listening in person, right? Yeah. I get it firsthand. I, I, was, I was amazed. Again. Rick Spurlock taught this past week uh, le uh, lesson two of Language of the Bridegroom. Awesome study. Highly recommend. Um, go to brainsonline.org to get the workbook and you can follow along. Um, but I was editing the audio and the class is an hour long. So how long was the audio? One hour, 16 seconds. Okay, a little over this time, okay? Let's try to work on that. Holy cow. Never looked at his watch once. I was there. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yes. Then let us begin. Yes, indeed. Okay. I don't think we've ever designated one hour long. It's when I can't sit any longer. Yeah, that's not a good I don't think that's a good time. Here we go. 13 minutes into it, and we'll probably pull that off for those living in Gastonia. Okay. We should, like, go see the people in Gastonia. Actually, how many of you have watched a post and seen that Jeremy from Gastonia is posting, and he's, like, from that far-off land. He puts in quotes, you know. I'm just wondering why Jeremy is not here ministering with us. Because you can't make it. It's quite a drive. So well, once, when, if we're going to be at the court, yeah. so. I'm actually can. I'm actually considering taking a flight up to Canada to teach the the uh, a class on the calendar, uh, on uh, God's calendar, up there to the folks that are uh, in the midst of the tundra and snow. Uh, if you'd be interested in uh, taking that trip with me, let me know after class. Balak, the son of Zipper. <laughs> He's the bird man. The real fly boy. Yeah. Okay. It's not that funny. That's not that funny. Actually, actually, those of us who think it's funny, it really is kind of funny. Okay. It's not even funny based on age. All right. So, I am amazed. I think. Uh, I think Jonathan brought to our attention several years ago that we should be watching the scriptures to see when the sages do a little bit of ooby scooby with the uh, translation and with their commentary because something's up and they feel the necessity to mess with the text, so to speak, a little bit or do some kind of special dance. And uh, they didn't do that this time. In this particular portion, we have some of the most amazing and incredible attributions to Messiah that you're going to find in the sages' writings. And in fact, one of my favorite commentaries, the Ramban, not Rambam, but Ramban, right? He uh, he goes off. So we're gonna we're gonna look at that today. 
So, I think it's always interesting looking at what's going on right now and the world and comparing it to what we've been reading. Last week for the the Haftarah section, we read about this um, conflict with Jephthah and uh, how... um, like all of a sudden, these people across the way are, are mad at Israel, and Jephthah's like, uh, "We didn't, we didn't do anything to you. What, what's up?" And they're, you know, "Well, but you, you, you took this. You land. took it from us." And he's like, "Well, we actually took it from somebody else. Who took it from you. And for the last three hundred years, you've done, you said nothing. So what? Why now?" And we see almost kind of like here. It's like the Israelites did. They just show up on the on the border of Moab, and the guy and the king of Moab freaks out, and it's like, "Wait a minute, hang on, like." God's explicitly already made it pretty clear to the people of Israel. Maybe he didn't bother to tell you, but the, like, the relatives of the Israelites, you don't touch their lands. That's exactly right. Moab is, of course, like uh, cousins, essentially, of the sure. Israelites. So it sounds so much, though, like today, like the nation of Israel today. They're surrounded by enemies who hate them for no apparent reason. It's not like the Israelites or the Israelis have done, you know, really anything dramatic to them. I mean, Jordanians, they didn't want, they didn't, weren't trying to conquer Amman. You know, they, they haven't, you know, marched on Cairo. If they just happen to have the territory that God, through the agency of the United Nations, has given them at this point. And, and no one else wants it. And no one else has even claimed it. In fact... And now everybody wants it. And now everybody wants it. And it's it's so interesting to see that um, Rabbi Gimpel is so good at talking about the idea that, like, the things that happen to the fathers portend the children. Yes. And you see that so much here. And I think the importance is, um, with the people of Israel today, and then also in our lives is to recognize that the things that happened in the past have a good application today. So the Israelites don't need to freak out. It worked just fine then. God took care of them, and he will continue to do so today. Amen. And they were unaware of it. Right. That's true. That's true. Because so, there's, I mean, through the whole portion, there's there's no indication that they know that this king is hobnobbing around with this weird guy with a talking donkey <laughs> and, and climbing mountains here and there looking over, you know, the, the things. Wait, who's that guy up there with that with that weird guy with the donkey? Yeah. So the, there's no indication of that. Yes? We were talking about last night about how, you know, they were offering up all these burnt offerings. So probably the Israelites saw were like, what is all that smoke? Smoke coming up, okay. Yeah. Smells like down here. What's up with that? Okay, good, good. <laughs> well, I, I, I think also just part of the backstory. Um... At the end of last week's portion, we, you know, whipped the tail off of Sihon and the... And Og. And Og, right? Sihon had defeated Moab previously, mm-hmm. and Balak was, in all likelihood, probably put in power, was sort of given power by Sihon, okay? So... As a vassal kind of thing? Right, exactly. So, now... Balak is thinking, okay, we lost to the Amorites, but the Amorites just got their hat handed to them. By right? these guys. By these guys, and now they're amassing at my border. You bet. So he's obviously expecting them to attack. To Joshua's point, he doesn't, you know, he, he, he missed the you know the scripture that said, you know, you, you, know, to this yeah. word, you can't take the land of the Moabites. But he's paranoid, and so, that, so he... Uh, sends his emissaries to summon Milam, who is this uh, well-renowned uh, Gentile prophet, rich. 
witch, sorcerer, warlock, whatever term we want to use. Um, yeah, I don't think witch works. I think witch is feminine. Wizard. So he summons him to try to, uh, to, to try to curse Israel to get a military advantage because he thinks he's going, he thinks, you know, there's a military, you know, cool about to have is yeah. imminent. So he's thinking he he might pre- preempt, but he wants a an advantage because otherwise he's likely to lose. It's, exactly. He's relying on the well-known uh, powers of Bilam to help him. Okay. For those of you listening in Gastonia, it's not Bilam. It's Bilam. Right. Clearly. That's right. <laughs> um, Clearly. So while we're on the first page here, yes. talking about this, I thought one of the things that stood out to me in looking at it was kind of cool is I like to look for details that seem like they change. There's odd little things that, cause I, and the sages love to look for those things too because oftentimes I think God's speaking to us the details. Sure. One of the things that changes like crazy is the titles of the people who show up to talk to Bilam. Mm-hmm. Um, Balak sends out messengers, it says in verse 5, to Balaam. Then in verse 7, they're called elders. Then we see they're named, um, there's, it says officers in verse 8. Mm-hmm. The sages say that shows that the elders left, and all that's left was the officers, but either way, the, na- the things keep changing. Um, later we see them called shlachim, they're called emissaries. Right. Um, but the coolest one to me is God's response. God says, who are these men? And it's like, I think about how, um, if you look at the way that their names, their titles sort of change, it almost to me implies, it's like, um, the titles change based on what they're in relation to. Mm-hmm. When they are sent from Bilam, they're mere messengers. When they arrive to, be, when they're sent from Bilam, when they arrive to Bilam, now they're elders and officers because they're people of importance. Mm-hmm. To the king, they're just messengers. To this other guy, they're important. But to God, they're just guys. Who are these guys? Who are these guys? What does this question remind you of? I'm sorry. It was a dangling participle. <laughs> of what? Of whom? The who? Uh, of who? Of whom? Rosh. It does remind me of Rosh, but nobody else in the room is going to know that. <laughs> of whom does this remind you? This question. Who are, who are these guys with you? Who are these guys? Oh, 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 Joseph. Right? I'm going to go with Rosh. Okay, now, I hadn't thought about Abraham. Tell me about Abraham. Oh, no, no. You said Abraham. Hang on, Abraham a second. Why Joseph? Am I wrong? Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Okay. That's all right. I'm thinking of someone else. I thought he said, who are these who are people these, with you? Who are these people My with you? Um, it's Yeshua yeah. and his mother. Jacob. Jacob. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Abraham. Tell me about Abraham. Abraham? Well, the Who's angels. It? The three angels. Okay, but, but nobody asked who they are. You got other guys showing up. Jacob. Oh, oh yeah. That's good one. Tell me about Jacob, Pete. Who are these? Yeah. Okay. Who are these boys who really weren't even boys at that point? Good. It does remind me of Jacob. Esau says, Who are all these people with you? Holy cow. Yeah. Jude. Possibly. Yeah, I was going to say maybe David Nebuchadnezzar used, uh, they were just, they threw in, yes, yeah, who's, who's that guy in there with that? Good. Wait, didn't we throw three guys in? Good. Excellent, Judah. Identify, please, with Judah and uh, then with Joseph as well. 
Oh, yeah. Not of these, but what is this? Mm. Whose is this? Whose is this? Identify these. Yes, I like it. It kind of said the Garden of Eden feels it too. It does. That's the one. It's my son in law, by the way. <laughs> That's the one that I was thinking about. All of those were great. Better than what I thought. But that one. I mean, I get God showing up and asking a question. To me, that's an oxymoron. Is there something God doesn't know? God says, Where are you? Later on, he goes, what have you done? In both cases, he obviously knows the answer. Now he's saying to this guy, who are these guys with you? What strikes you about that? I wasn't going to go on. I know, but you yeah, your hand up. So go ahead, what were you going to say? What I was going to say is building off of that thought and Joshua's thought as well, looking for those differences between yes. things, and looking at what Balak says and what Balaam replies to God. Balaam, excuse me, replies to God. <laughs> anyway. Balak says, I want you to curse these people mm-hmm. and drive them from this land. Right. Bilam replies to God, Balak wants me to condemn these people and to wipe out these people from the land. Yeah. And so the implication is he's actually intensifying what Balak said. Yes. And he's saying it to God. It, it happens more than once. To your health. If you, if you can get a, a spreadsheet going of all the little differences here of what this one said, and it's now repeated. Don't we see that in the garden as well? But don't eat that. We're not even allowed to touch it. Same kind of thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? To that point also, actually, mm-hmm. um, I guess the translation depends, but it's the, um, in the Hebrew here, there are two different words for curse. Which caught my eye. I thought, what in the world? I read well, it caught the sage's eyes, too. Yeah, I read their commentary on it. Yeah, they're, they're, that's big time reasoning behind what's going on because of that. You right, know. and it's very interesting that um, the original term is is less severe, but the term that Bilam uses to God that says, oh, he wants me to curse these Top words, shelf. Is top shelf curse. But God replies back to him, you shall not even the lower, you know? So you're not even allowed to say a bad word against Israel, much yeah, less. Exactly. So I'm over the roof. Yeah. Right. Good. Okay. So how do you feel about a talking gun? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just surprised he wasn't surprised by the talking gun. Right. Yes. He's That's what I was about to expect. He's like, oh, okay, I'll answer. He's a wizard. Didn't you, <laughs> didn't you expect to see, like, and Bilam was apoplectic for a full two minutes. And Bilam was sore afraid. Yeah, or something like that. But but we didn't get any of that, you know? He starts talking to it. Well, the donkey says, am I in the habit of doing this? He doesn't even mention talking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the she donkey. Okay, wizard skills. Okay, yeah. We don't know that this donkey hasn't talked before. Well, the donkey makes it clear. I've, I've been working for a while, and we've never had this kind of relationship. <laughs> How many of you have had your foot stepped on by a horse? Okay. So, I mean, those, those bad boys are heavy. How many of you have had your foot crushed against something? Like the ground, if you lay down your your bike or something like that, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I'm 
just trying to figure out the big elephant in the room question. Why is it that God sent his messenger sword out ready to kill him? Tell me what's going on. Um, there's a lot here. <laughs> no, we're looking for the Oreo method. We're looking for one bite, chew around a little bit, swallow some coffee, come back, get another bite. Okay. Oh, yeah. so, I'm, I'm taking the seatbelt. That's right. Buckle up, baby. Here we go. <laughs> you start with the spelling of Belam, I'll smack you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole donkey thing is, to me, uh, pretty pretty cool. So it's not an illusion that Bilam was a jackass. Yeah. Just well, check. It, it, it is kind of. No. Okay. Okay. So so here's the thing: if you if you go to oops, turn the wrong way. If you go to um, to uh, Chester. I'm sure we're still in two, right? Yeah, I know, but you gotta, you gotta say and find it here. Um, where, uh, let's see, basically there's a statement in here, um, I'm trying to find it, but I'll describe it, where <clears throat> Milan describes himself as the one with the open eye, yeah. the one who hears, hears God. Sees, and knows Shaddai yeah. and all of this kind of stuff. And the whole community here in this goes, ooh. Page 2415. 2415. It's not page 2415, it's 24. Verse 15. So here's the thing. Bilam, and you know, we, had, we had a really good discussion last night about this. Uh, on the surface, if you just kind of pick up this portion and, and just read it and know nothing else, Bilam sort of comes across as a, not a bad guy. Right. You know, yeah. he, he, this he here in this portion, he appears to be, he has some kind of relationship with God. Uh, he's, you know, he, uh, he, he talks, talks to God. God talks to him. Like a bad guy, right? And we can talk more about that. But the point is, he is um, he is very prideful, and he views himself as this person that has got these special abilities and special insight and wisdom and, and all of this, okay? But it's interesting that for the though he views himself that way and he has a reputation among many others for being that, right? Yeah. Here he is on, on riding on a donkey, right? The donkey being a symbol of, you know, a lowly beast of burden not too intelligent. Yeah. Right? Yet, Don't let the donkey, donkey hear you say that. Had a greater perception of God exactly. than Bilam did. You bet. And as the angel appears, the donkey perceives, and Bilam, this great wizard and prophet who has the open eye, was had no clue. Yeah. And so the donkey sees and tries to go off the road, Bilam strikes it, brings it back on the road. This happens three times, right? This this kind of is parallel to the three times he tries to curse um, Israel. Yeah. Okay. Because the one who is supposedly all-knowing, God's really telling him, look, 
you think you know, you think you have insight, you think you know me, your dumb donkey has more perception of me than you do. It's actually not a donkey. Wow. <laughs> Technically not dumb. But it wasn't a dumb donkey. It was a talking donkey. <laughs> Stupid donkey, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea here is that three times the donkey tries to evade because he perceives what's, what's about to happen. And the donkey, had it not been for the donkey, Bilam would be dead. Okay. So he owes his very life to the fact that the donkey had more perception of what was going on than the all-knowing prophet. All right, so let's let's pause and talk about the comments on that. Yes, ma'am. That gave understanding, I think, as to why a she donkey, because women were really <laughs> subservient and really lovely of people, but they used the lowest. Uh, um, I guess it could be a colt or something would be lower, maybe a child, but. Being a she donkey would give the position. I mean, that it would even be worse than a donkey. It would be a female donkey. <laughs> that was what said. I think for those for those listening in Gastonia who don't know that you're not a woman's liver, they might misunderstand. But I I don't disagree with you. This can't be the same donkey. This can't be the same donkey because it is a she donkey. And actually, I think that's why it's mentioned as a she donkey. Saint, Saint donkey. This can't be the same donkey that is the foal of a donkey. Isn't, isn't the foal of a... How do you get, how do you get donkey I don't foal? know that far. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's a male donkey. It's a, Messiah rides on a male, male donkey. Male donkey. Okay, male donkey. But it yep. easily could have been the... It could be the, the donkey, donkey child, yes. Of the <laughs> You're killing me. Stand by. <laughs> No, it's like Malam is like what I would call a throw-down prophet. He's not all there all the time. He's just used when he needs to be. He doesn't have all his faculties. In other words, he is a prophet, but he's not a top show. Okay. Yeah. Top show. Okay. Kind of like, you know, like this. So yeah. he has problems. But he does have a reputation. Right. Enough of of enough of which that the king's going to try and get him to come to town and do his deal. Quick question: Wasn't he also a necromancer? I don't, uh, I mean, if you just pause with me for a second, I'm going to Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Uh, There's no scriptural reference that I can think of. Because I've heard that from somewhere before. I just wanted to make well, the Christians. Well, he's, he's, he's considered like, he's a bad, bad a black well, art. Now, 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 I think it's important. Let's just take a pause here for just a second. Just say, I like to contrast Bilam with Lot. Okay, Lot. Okay. So Lot gets a bad rap from the church. Everybody thinks, oh, look, look at what he did. He even offered his virgin daughters. And, then, and, they, say that was such, <laughs> and they say such terrible things about him. Uh, you know, Abraham's not over here, but he, you know, he wants to be in there. You know. He wants the good stuff. The fact that he's actually doing probably more evangelism than the, the Tanakh speaks of most of the time, they still want to throw him under the bus. And yet, the scripture speaks extraordinarily highly of Lot. He's described as a tzaddik. He's a righteous man. Here, Bilam 
has this great reputation. You want to get it done? Call the billster. Oh, yeah. He'll come and do what you need done. <laughs> Sends a whole bunch of guys to get him to come. And as the men have already pointed out, you've got a great understanding of this guy. Pretty good reputation. Pretty good response. Talking to God all the time. Goes off by himself. He's alone. God comes to speak with him. How many... <laughs> I was out there this morning by myself. I mean, God didn't come speak to me. But it's only afterwards that we find out, and in other scriptures that we see, that the scriptures, in the same way that other scriptures look back and speak well of Lot, the other scriptures look back and speak poorly of Bilam. He is essentially a prophet, sorcerer for hire. Exactly. And all he cares about is biggest paycheck. That's it. He would have happily worked for Israel to curse Moab if they, <coughs> That's if right. they wanted to hire him. That's right. right. He, he's got no real allegiance. Mercenary. He he's a mercenary well prophet. with all of the deities of all the surrounding... Right. We know that he hears the true God. Maybe he hears some weirdo God, too. Right. Yeah. So, and he, um, in fact... When the you know, when the messengers or the emissaries arrive and say, hey, you know, Balak wants to come and you yeah. pay a bunch of money, you know, and he sends them, he sends them away once. There's a commentary from Hazal that 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 was partly a negotiating tactic. He was like saying, uh, yeah, it's not, nah, enough. not for that. It, yeah. Not even, not even if you filled my whole house with silver and gold, wink, wink. wink, 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 wink. <laughs> you get my cousin Shuel for that, but gee, me? Right. Yeah. So, he, so he was totally all about the, the paycheck because the other issue is finally God says, okay, go with them, but you can only say what I tell you to say. So he gets up, saddles the donkey the next morning, and, and goes with him, and then it says God's angry. God's all upset. <laughs> Well, I want to know why. Hang on one second. Okay. Um, Gail and I were discussing the portion this morning, and uh, she did some research and found some interesting traditions about Bilal. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to significance, but Christian says that he was Laban's grandson. Laban's grandson. I think he wasn't biologically, I think, in a spiritual sense standpoint, mm -hmm. he is very similar. Mm -hmm. sure. Especially if you understand. That, he's from Iran. Yeah. And, yeah. and you understand that he's intentionally wanting oh, yeah. first. Yeah. But then the other thing she found was the fact that, uh, according to some sages, they say that the nations, and you know, in that whole, there's a tradition that God went to each of the nations and said, here's the Torah. And they all said, we don't want to be your people. We don't want you to be our God. Go away. And God eventually came to the children of Israel. And they accepted him and said, we will obey your precepts. Well, in the same way, there's also another tradition that says, the nation said, Israel's got Moshe. You know, if we had a prophet like that, then we would follow God too. And so God said, "All right, here you got Balaam. Yeah, Balaam yeah, is actually so, identified, compared as he's likened to the Moshe of the Gentiles." Exactly. Mm -hmm. So those two interesting things that she yeah, found. That's the anti-Messiah sound to him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We actually have insight into Balaam from that Salzburg in Revelation chapter two. In speaking to to uh, the congregation. Uh, um, yeah, Smyrna. Uh, he's 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 mentioned. He says, "But I have a few things against you. You have come. You have some who hold the teaching of Balaam, Bilam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice idols, and practice sexual immorality. 
And then the prophet here in John makes a reference to some of you also hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. And church people argue about who are the Nicolaitans without making a reference to who's Bilam. That's right. Because the Nic- Nicolaitans and are, like are the same people. Right. The word means the same thing. Lord of the people. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly <laughs> what we see in every time that man makes its own religion. What happens? One guy's in charge and everybody else you do what I tell you to do. Yeah. I'll connect you with God. Bilam is that person. Oh, that's very good. Somebody needs to write that one down. Bilam <laughs> another place that sinners or someone doing something wrong is almost related to Bilam is in Second Peter 2 I think 15 it says they forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Bilam son of Beor who loved the wages of unrighteousness which is back to your point profit for hire yeah. PFH. PFH. There he is. But he's religious, and that's the main thing. He's yeah. religious. Everybody sees him as religious. Is AC a possibility? <laughs> the air is on. There's the fan is going. It's as cool as I can get it. Everybody stop breathing. <laughs> you, then you. Um, is there any correlation? I'm sorry. I don't think anybody over here can hear you. Is there any correlation between the angel standing in front of Yehoshua and the angel that was standing in front of this donkey? Or the angel that stands there guarding the way? I think... The angel of the world. So there's only one angel at the garden? I thought there was two. two. One flaming sword, but there's, <laughs> there's plural messages. The other guy was good with sword. I wouldn't want to leave it in one Yeah, game. those at the garden weren't the angel of the Lord. Right? Correct. They were, were Caribbean. This seems to be Caribbean as well. This says this the is angel of the Lord. Malach. So this would be a different category. Much like the one in Joshua. I think there is a connection, though, between the angels of the garden and this angel. And um, the angels of the garden, the purpose was to keep man from going and doing further damage, basically, to himself. Because I, I, of I would suspect that the damage might be going in and eating from that tree of life. That's what I'm saying. It's further damage to himself. I think well, that's ultimate damage. Yeah, ultimate damage. But in a way, the angels are actually there as a form of mercy. And actually, that's what Rashi Good. says about this angel. This angel that's supposed to be angel mercy? It's actually there as mercy. It's to stop Bilam from committing evil. Good. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. And, 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 no, no, no. That's right. That, and, and Lot. Weren't there angels that came with swords right. and helped Ooh. him get out? Of Took him by the hand. Good. But, and, so, and the, you know, correlation to today's date, and one of the devotions I was reading was about when something's blocking our way, like the donkey won't go. Yeah. You know, maybe it's God's angel saying, stop, go back. That is precisely where I wanted to go this morning before we started tearing it up word by word, letter by letter, is, uh, you know, I I, I really think that one of the the greatest bellwethers of my walk is when things don't go my way, when things don't go the way I expected, things don't go the way I planned, and I don't get very upset. That's a good thing. Because I recognize it's not me who plants these steps. It's my God. I'm simply trying to be obedient. I'm, still, I'm just trying to walk the walk. 
I asked him many, many years ago, I want to do your will. If you want me to know your will, use a two-by-four if you have to, because I can't know it unless you tell me. So he does close those doors. He does stop that tractor from starting. He does stop that edger from starting. <laughs> I, would, I would challenge you. If things don't go your way, it may not be the devil, and it may not be sin. Even if it is the devil, that means it's still God. Good. The bottom line is it may actually be an answer to your prayer that God ordained your steps. It's as simple as that. There's no Murphy's Law, just God's provision. I wouldn't... I wouldn't bring the Irish into this. Because I'm Italian. But he is encouraging us not But if God is trying to make you an offer you can't refuse, you will not refuse! Don't, don't keep smacking your computer if it's not working because it might start talking to you. Just call us! That's right, just call us. But I, I, I seriously want you to consider that. That things don't go wrong. Things don't go badly for believers in Messiah. That doesn't mean they don't go the way you want. It means that you've asked him to be used. You want what he wants. You want to be used by him. Yeah, that whole glove thing, right? You know, let me be the glove that you wear today. Okay, fine. I was going to clean toilets today. Whatever it takes, if he's going to, if you've asked him to guide your steps, then don't get upset when the steps don't go the way you were planning. It's as simple as that. And I think that the text clearly is showing us that. God does choose to interact with his people. And God will protect his people. And God will work through his people. That whole watchmaker thing where God created the universe, wound it up like a watch, and just tossed it out there, and now does not interact with his creation, is a bunch of hooey. Write that one down. Right, I got a couple of hands. Take you. Then I'm gonna take you. Actually, I'm gonna take you first because you're wearing a jacket. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's man. Thank you. Um, I was gonna say two no time. That's one of the right. Yeah. One of the was in relating to what you were just saying. It seems like it's clear that the angel chastises belong for what he does to the donkey. So just going along with what you're saying, you will never have to do something wrong or even sin in order to be in God's will. That's good. So if that that's good. comes up, you know that that's just the deal breaker right there. That's good. I know many men have experienced that with Shabbat. You know, you're like, you, you know, you're going to need to work. And it's like, well, that's the deal breaker. I'm not doing that. And then we've seen time and time again that God ended up providing for that person, sure. which is cool. Yeah. Um, I, I want to just bring it you know, down to, to the brass tacks where I live. If somebody cuts me off on the road, there's no reason for me to express my disdain with a gesture or with an expletive. Or with a raised voice. Or the sound. Or even with a raised voice. Or the written one. It just doesn't do any good. All you're doing is paralleling someone in the scripture 
who we're actually speaking rather poorly of right now. <laughs> I, uh, just one other thing was just since you mentioned angels before, you just talked about that. I thought it was pretty interesting in regard to the angel that it, it talks, you know, the angel of the Lord. But when he says something, he sort of speaks in the first person, which is exactly how the angel of the Lord that comes to Abraham after the binding of Isaac speaks, which is really kind of cool. It's kind of scary, too. Now, there were some in the church that would tell you that that's Messiah in his pre-incarnate state. Oh, that was just... Jesus doesn't matter. I'm just trying to, you know, evoke a visceral reaction. (laughs) I got you. So going back to why did God get mad the very next day after he told him to go with them? Go with these guys? What are you doing going with these guys? Wait, What's up with that? Did we just see that with the spies? Send spies. Send spies. Send what are you spies? doing sending spies? Right. Send ah. God, ah. You just can't please him. Yes, you can. In this particular case, it speaks again to the wickedness and the character of Milan because God said, okay, fine, you can go. You know, but you, he's already told them you can't curse Israel. Right. You can go, but you got to say the words I give you. So, so I'm going to just take up Bilam's side here, and I know that at least two times, if not three, he says, why, why are you upset with me, Balak? I told you I can't say anything other than what he told me to say. Right. So it looks like he's on the right track. Right, but, the, but the, the reason God gets mad at him is because when, when he gave him permission to go, Milan thinks, ah, I'm collect that paycheck after all. So, in other words, he goes, knowing that God has already said you can't curse them, he's going with the full intention to curse them. Because that's the only way you can get the paycheck. That's right. the only way you can get the paycheck. And that's really all it's about. I'm liking that. And, and I'm liking that. Support. And that's all I'm, 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 I'm dissing you one more time. Go ahead. Well, I mean, it's a follow-up. It's a father-son. Well, and he eventually, <laughs> he eventually allows Israel to curse themselves with this whole scheme. Yeah. So he realizes, yeah. if I can't do it, here's, you know, this is what you need. Here's how you get them to do it. And it'll work. Yeah. And it'll work. So, he, so he did bring about an opportunity. For but he still blew the paycheck. I think. I think. Maybe. We didn't live long enough to... That's right. Yeah. Uh, to the, uh, two things. Um, to that point of why tell him to go if you're going to chastise him upon his going. On the one hand, it's because yeah, it's definitely because of his wickedness. And I think you see a war going on between Balaam and God within himself because he's on the one hand wanting to go and wanting to curse, but then all of a sudden it's as though he it's he's frustrated time and time again. So there's this war going on inside of the false prophet, which the apostles warn us constantly about. Nevertheless, he's really a smooth talker, despite this war that's going on inside of him. Oh, yeah, his his public presence is extraordinary. Which is something that the apostles talk about a lot. They're going to be false teachers amongst you, smooth and they're going to speech. be smooth talkers. Oh, yeah. And so one of the other things I... I What's his love piece, ladies? is not only Balaam's ability to be a smooth talker, but his knowledge of religious things is profound. He probably knew, he seems to know a lot about the uh, history of the Israelites, uh, apart from his own prophetic utterances. He seems to 
have a little bit of acquaintance with that. And so I think that makes him all the more dangerous and why he Israel fell all the more susceptible to him. Sure. And the apostles using him as here's what to look out for. Here's the type of person to look out for. The person who just seems to really be acquainted with all of these different religions and doesn't really say very much that's about the uh, the true God in a way that the true prophets talk about. And I think that's a warning for us today, especially with religious pluralism that is running rampant, the increase of interest in religious things, religious teachings, and what some people call monism, which is that all religious beliefs are everything. So it doesn't matter what you believe, that's just similar to this. Uh, and I can respect that. Thanks for sharing your... You know, I appreciate you, that. You've got I, your I, that's faith. completely got valid. Yeah. I've got my completely valid. <laughs> you want to kill me and my offspring? I love you to death. There needs yeah. to be a time where we stand up and say, you're yeah. wrong. Yeah. And even though you speak a great talk and you seem to say all the right words and you know the name of God, you're wrong. You know, before I take anybody else to speak, it's, it's really important that you understand. It is not possible to live that walk that he just described and be politically correct. If you're into that political correct crap, you cannot walk this walk. It's as simple as that. Because you're either going to keep your mouth shut when you should be speaking, or you will speak when you ought to keep your mouth shut. It's as simple as that. There is evil. There are wrong people. There are bad parents. There are bad marriages. There are bad people. There is wrong. Uh, we don't have to be brutal about it, but calling a spade a spade is something that we need to do. I'm sorry. I completely disagree with what you just said. I'm sorry, but no, my family doesn't think that way. No, I'm sorry. I appreciate that you have a religion, and I'm very encouraged that you have a zeal about your faith. But your faith will cause you to burn in hell, and I will do everything I can to keep you away from my family. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I talk at Harris Teeter. <laughs> um, and thinking about Balaam's character, we, we talked this week a little bit about um, righteousness, uh, righteous actions with an <clears throat> evil heart. And sometimes it's hard to figure out. And a lot of people do good things, quote unquote. And we say, here with say it again, so everybody gets plugged into where you're going. Mm. Righteous actions with an evil, evil heart. And it's like, I mean, righteous is almost too strong a word. It's like a good thing. So Balaam talks, talks good. He even does some good things. And it's like, well, what do you do with this? And I think that um, uh, what's interesting about him is that he only does good things when he has to. And that's really interesting, or when, or when it benefits him. So he never is willing to sacrifice for the good thing. And I think that's very true of a lot of people. Like, they can be nice, one of the people are nice to them. They can be generous when their heartstrings are tugged and that poor guy looks really sad on the side of the street. But it's like, when it actually is going to cost me something and I don't like that person, no, I'm not going to. Well, and well, that's, that's Yeshua's words. He yeah, says, absolutely. You, know, you can invite people over to your house, you're going to pay you back. That's yeah, easy. But, but even the pagans back. do that. But to, to avoid that politically correct stuff, you, you can't be looking for a payback. Because once you smack that political correctness stuff, you, you're not going to get very far. If, if this world is what, you're, what it's all about for you, Man, you got a tough road to hope. But on the, on the other hand, you know, some of the most prophetic and profound words 
in favor of Israel come from this false prophet's mouth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and what we need to recognize is, unless there, there used to be this thought that as long as the messenger was good, then I can trust the words. But if the messenger is bad, I should not listen to the words. And what we need to recognize is that good things done by evil people are still good things. Agreed. They, Agreed. And God will use them to, to do good. And that's why we as a people who get discouraged with the world around us and the decay that we see, when we see something good, Regardless of who does it, we should bless God because we see something. The opposite is true too. Mm -hmm. And when we see evil things done by good, good people, are still evil. evil. That's right. That's, That's exactly, exactly right. Instead yes. of trying yes. to, instead of trying to put people in categories, we need to be recognizing good deeds and bad deeds. Amen. I get three of you. Let me let me make a comment on that. Um, that's good, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm I'm still somewhat in shock at strong believers that I know. And you hand them a book. And it's almost like they don't even want to touch the book. Yeah. Well, um, was it written by a believer? Was it written by a believer? <laughs> Are you a believer? I have no idea. It didn't even occur to me to check. It's all about plumbing. <laughs> and what's their response? My plumber's a believer. Well, great! I don't know if mine is, but he's Jewish. That's true. What's your point, Dad? He's making a point better than I do. So, I mean, to Rick's to Rick's point, do we do we discount something simply because it's not a believer? Well, that's scary. What's more scary is where Greg was going with the opposite. Mm -hmm. Do we just naturally take something because a believer said it? Have, have you not read the back end of Matthew when the Master says that if possible, the evil one will deceive even the elect? The church falls into two camps. The elect cannot be deceived. See, even if he could. <laughs> even if I put on socks. What? <laughs> Have you not been deceived at any point since you got saved? So we need to be careful with that. And I think on both sides. It's a, it's a, it's a great, a great uh, look there. Okay, I had uh, Mr. Uh, Soft Pastels. I had, the, uh, I had the jacket and I had the stripes. Soft Pastels. Okay, so um, in Proverbs chapter 12, it says... You sure? I'm, I'm positive. Good. I checked. Good. <laughs> um, it says, a, right, a righteous man who shaves an animal kindness, but the wicked even his compassion. Did he say a righteous man who trades ammo? <laughs> trades ammo. I'm looking at it. Is this a nine millimeter? Take me. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. Well, I, I missed what you said. Uh, okay. It's the right translation. A righteous man, you may like try to dial it back. I'm just like, Really okay. A righteous man will treat his animals with compassion. Uh -oh. uh, treats yes. his animals. Yes. Ammo animals. Animal, he may also treat them better. Absolutely. Yes. His animals with compassion. Right. Good, so good, very good. Balaam, or Balaam, Balaam. 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 Balaam.
Mm. We'd be in our animal session a lot. Well, now that's an interesting thing. I like the way you tied that. What's that called? Remez. It's called Remez. He got, a, he got a hint from that whole, this guy's not treating the animal well, and immediately his heart goes to Proverbs. This only happens if you know the Proverbs. Uh, stand by. <laughs> Another self passed out. That's great. I think I had the jacket next, and then the stripes. Well, I, I was just, I mean, because, because Brock brought that up, I mean, where did, where did Solomon get that but the Torah? I mean, the one time you can break Shabbat is when, for the sake of your animal. Right. Or your enemy's animal. Yeah, absolutely. If you yeah. see your enemy, right. this animal is uh, falling into the you you shall help it up. The other thing I was going to say was since it was cool that we actually read Romans 11 for the apostolic yes, portion because one of the things that kind of came up and Taylor sort of touched on this as well but you know one of the things that really struck me this year was did Balak not know that the the God he's trying to summon to curse his people is the God of that people like why would that even work? I mean, you were talking about the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Yeah. And he wants them to curse those people. That's, that's a good point. Why didn't he call some other prophet? He called this prophet because this prophet knows their God. He's going to have their God, who's already obviously blessed them and pulled them out of bondage, curse them? Right. It seems, it seems ridiculous. It seems like a pretty that's foolish way to spend your money. Right. But it was tax money then. Yeah, and, oh, and didn't, didn't realize this either. And I think the point here is what Romans 11 touches on. Like we, we're to join ourselves to that people because yeah. that people is their really God. important. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, exactly. Good. Excellent. Good point. Yes, sir. Stripes. Actually, real quick, I think that Balaam did know because in the ancient Near East, you could actually change God's mind. Yeah. Um, the, the little G God. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you could buy them off. Uh, you can they, they'll change territory territories things like that and that really shows the character of God that he's not like these other territorial and guys. he mentions that and yeah, in one of these blessings, the blessings. Yeah, what is God like him mean, he's not going to change his mind like a guy does hello exactly. who are these guys and every time uh, Milan instructs Balak to make sacrifice as if to try to bribe God yeah. Like, yeah. okay, maybe for oh, another seven. He likes these dead animals. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, not, that's not who God is. God cannot be bought. That's right. That's right. And it's free. And the sacrifices, which he demanded when done without the right heart, yeah. are extension of his nostrils. Which is what Mike is saying. I was also going so to speak to the point of uh, truth through seeming non believers. I mean, we have in Second Chronicles. The temple being built and supplies being brought by Tyre and right. other folks, yeah. and they're very skilled in these things. Um, and either God prophesies that the wealth of the nations is going to come in to right. rebuild the temple. That's right. Uh, so I think that a lot of people, like you're saying, they have these Christian yellow pages, things like that, <laughs> but forgetting that God pours so-called grace to do these common things on everybody. There can be people, great carpenters, who are far better than a believer who might not be a believer. And that's actually, a great opportunity to witness to them. I actually know business owners who specifically will not, will go out of their way not to do business with people who claim to be Christians for two reasons. Number one, they have absolutely no witness with these people. Yeah. And they want to share their belief. And secondly, oftentimes, sadly, 
they find that the Christian people have a very poor work ethic because they want to take as much time as they can to share the gospel. I was going to say, men is just a label. Christian exactly. believer. Exactly. And who hasn't been cheated in business by a believer? Exactly. You have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, see, I work. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, now, next week, if you could just wear a white blazer so it just kind of works as a mirror <laughs> image here. That would help me. You know, like a white blazer, blue blazer. White blazer. Yes, ma'am. Oh, the lady in pink rather than blue. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think in uh, chapter 23 where it says, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? I mean, God's the one in charge. And if you're going up against the God of the universe to try to create havoc, and he's not with you on his own people, you're you're already up against the You you seem to be on the wrong side of the street. Who does this remind you of? Give me some Ramez. Apostolic scriptures. I'm going to say Gamliel. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. Uh, now give me something. Come on. Yes, tall man. Yes. So, so they so they want to so they want to stop the the disciples right. from preaching. Yes. And such. And Gamaliel says. So they so they say to the elder man in the room. Right. What do you think? And he says. And he says, listen, y'all. If. Yeah. Yeah. Southern Jerusalem. Right. Well, he brings up these other two uh, flare-ups, yes. you know, and and says, "Remember if, these guys? Yeah. If if God is with, yeah. is not he, with them, not with them, they're just gonna fizzle away. Good. And if He is with them, then you're gonna be striving against God, and that's a lose lose, mm-hmm. or a lose win, <laughs> or a, or a God win, regardless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yes." I think soft the, pastels again. She's not a soft pastel. That's the brass This is a gem. I was thinking about this, talking about uh, earlier. One of the one of the blessings that Bilam utters is he talks about how Israel is like lined up with God, and there he's friends with. God essentially, yeah. and how Israel there is no divination in Israel, and I think and that, I think that was the passage that I got called up to read today. That was yeah. such a powerful passage because it's like so oftentimes the whole idea in idolatry is I need this. How do I get that? Well, it so happens that there's a supernatural force that if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll get it from them. That was the concept behind idolatry. You offer, you know, this goat, it'll rain tomorrow, etc. So in this case, Balaam makes a point in saying they don't do that. They don't look to anybody to help them out. And who is their helper? Their helper is the God of the universe, the one who creates everything, the only God. And I think that's such a powerful contrast here. I feel like the whole theme almost of this passage is God is big. He's bigger than anybody else. He can do whatever he wants. And everybody else basically falls down before him. Because, and I think the danger is so oftentimes in our lives too, we make God so small. It's like, I need to do this, and I don't know if God's going to help me, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and do it this way. Or, um, I'm really afraid about this circumstance because, you know, you know, this, I could lose my job, and how will I pay for this? And we always make God so small. Mm-hmm. And this passage is emphasizing, God is God. There's no other God. And as long as we're walking with Him, everything else is fine. Amen. I... I'll argue with you on the last phrase. I don't think everything is necessarily fine. But for us it is. I'm saying is it the whole I would say that even for us, it's not necessarily fine 
but it will be. Okay. It's you're implying that there's no 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 problem. No 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 no. By, by, but by I'm with you. I'm with you. Hit the, you hit the purpose of your life. You're Absolutely. walking with God, so everything Absolutely. else doesn't matter. Yeah. Amen. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Yes, you too. Come on. Audience interaction. Good. She's the last lady up. Okay, everybody sit down. Thank you for standing up. I just wanted to thank you, ladies. Look, last one's up, last one's down. I just wanted, I just felt like stretching. So, I, I agree 100% with you. And I, I just wonder about Belong. I can't really identify with him. I really can't, you know, identify this whole thing of speaking for God and, and so forth, um, or or claiming to be able to hear him, having his words in my mouth when it's not just stuff I'm reading that I know he already wrote, <laughs> you know. Um, but here's a here's a diviner who says. There's no divination in Israel. <laughs> How does he feel when he reads about, or when he, he speaks about himself? It's sort of in the negative. It's just, the, the whole thing seems weird to me, senior. Um, again, it kind of goes back to this whole concept that Bilam is full of himself, and he is also being exalted by all these people around him. We see that back in the uh, in verse six, uh, the beginning of the beginning of the parsha, verse six. Uh, there's a phrase in the second half. It says, "This is Balak uh, saying this about Bilam. For I know that whomever you bless is blessed, and whomever you curse is a curse." Where's the remez there? Mm. Yes. God says that about himself to Abraham. Mm-hmm. So here, here, Balak is attributing to Bilam this idea that whoever he blesses is blessed, whoever he cursed is cursed. No, 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 no. That's a characteristic of, of God. God, not Bilam. So this whole, this one of the key things here again is you have a man, a wicked man, who is very prideful, who is greedy, who is only out for whatever benefits him. And, and he's even exalted and put on a pedestal by all these Gentile nations, you know, that uh, ascribe to his abilities. And the whole thing here is God is God is humbling him. The whole thing with the donkey, right? He's supposed to be all-seeing. The donkey saw, he didn't. The angel had to open his eyes, then he sees, right? The, the donkey, the, the last time before he, before he sh- struck the donkey the last time, the donkey finally just bows down, just kind of you know, just kind of sits down, prostrates himself, prostrates himself before the angel. Then he strikes the third time. Then the angel opens his eyes, and then what does he do? He sees, and then he prostrates himself, right? And then, and then he, God allows him to continue uh, on the way, and he still has this intention of cursing, okay? But the point is this: he tries to curse three times. Each time he, he tries to curse, it's a blessing, and then Balak says, let's go over here, right? The donkey saw, oh, let's go this way. Then, oh, there it is again, let's go. Then he ends up against the wall. You know? So there's this, this parallel with the donkey that's basically saying, look, 
you think you're so great, you can't, you cannot prophesy anything. Um, in, in fact, the fact that you want to curse my people, I'm going to actually use you as part of this whole exercise to, to humble you. I'm going to use you to bless them. to actually prophesy some of the most profound messianic prophecies that there are out of a jackass's mouth. Exactly. Good. Praise God. So to dovetail off of that, when he said that Elam was wicked, he tried to curse not the first time, but also the second and third time. In chapter 24, it actually says, when Bilam saw that it pleased Abinai to bless Israel, he didn't make use of divination like the other times, but instead he just looked out to the wilderness. So he was trying a different tact. But later it's like, well, no, the Spirit of God came upon him, and now he did another blessing. It's kind of the thought that Bilam can't escape God. He's going to bless him because you know, God chose to bless Israel. Amen. But Bilam, even though he knows God, even though he knows you know who he is, he still persists in trying to curse him. Do you believe that God is outside time, Brock? Yes. Speaking of blessing, isn't that what your name means? Yeah, Could. Brock. Uh, technically, means badger. Badger. Iraq. Iraq. If God is if God is outside time and actually created time. And you said that God chose, past tense, to bless Israel. Is there any way that yeah, God could no longer bless Israel? No. Well, God is not someone who would change, like us, right? So if he did choose to bless Israel, then he does bless Israel, and he will bless Israel, and there's no way to get around that. Correct. That's why supersessionism is a bunch of hooey. Yeah, of course. Yes. Technical I, I, I defer to my the wiser of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's great. I was going to make a bid, but I'm going to let him bid first. Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, I'm like not deferring. No, oh, no, no, you're not deferring. Okay. Um, the last comment that I'll make on Bilam, the character Bilam, just kind of going back to what Taylor said, and Bilam is very instructive for us because he, he, is, the, he is the guy who kind of dress and he kind of plays the part yeah. but he's utterly wicked it, it, the mess for me was Matthew 7 wait a minute wait a minute depart from me I don't know you workers but, of but evil do all these good things that I did yeah you know so it's very instructive for mm. us in that regard that's good but what what I'd like to do if we can is actually is actually talk through the actual blessing getting it not, not yet We'll all stand up. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. This is not a soft pastel. This is a question. Um, was Israel being faithful to God at this point or not? Not. Okay, I thought. Right now. And isn't that a case for, you know, like the Christian sometimes will say, well, Israel is being not following God now because they're not following Yeshua. Okay. And so they can't really be blessed, right? I mean, you know, the, you have the Christians that are really anti-Semitic. Sure. Okay. And your point is, even in their sin, yes, they're still blessed. Absolutely. And I, and I wasn't sure if they were being faithful at this point, but isn't that a case for... They don't especially have to be faithful to God at that point for God to bless them. Yeah, I God's think I think the only God's blessing is because He promised He right. would bless. Yeah. God's blessing is irrevocable. Yeah. However, I would always caution anyone who's 
wanting to grab onto the irrevocable blessing and recognize if you think you're in that category, you need to recognize that he treats his people like children. And therefore, he will discipline misbehavior. Absolutely. I just meant, like, you know, the Christian. From an anti Semitic perspective, you're correct. exactly right. Yeah. You bet. We can, they can't claim that. You, can, you can't grab half of that stick. You're going to have the whole stick. That's good. I was just going to say, and then we look in the apostolic scriptures, and that's exactly what Paul was talking about. He's like, don't boast against the natural branches right. that were cut off for yeah. your sake, because God can bring them back. Sure, if he can, if he can stick the wild branch in and make it grow, he can certainly take these natural branches that have been cut off and make them grow as well. Good. Oh, Judah. Okay. Um, that is a soft pastel. <laughs> very soft pastel. Anyway, um, a very interesting thing here. It, however, you pronounce his name. Bilam. 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 Whatever you want to say. Um, when God opens his eyes, he sees the angel. He falls on his face. The angel doesn't say anything. Most of the time in the Bible, when people fall on their face to an angel. Angel often says, "Arise." Yeah, uh, get up. Very good. Don't don't pass out on me now. Kind of thing. Whether to touch me, give him strength, or something like that. Yeah. Let me let you wallow with your face in the dirt for a few moments while I talk to you about the donkey who's far better than you. I like that. That's a good point. That's good. Yeah. That's a good point too. Yes. Yes. Good. Excellent. Um, Morgan said that uh, in many cases. Um, the angel will defer worship and say, whoa, 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 don't worship me. We'll worship the Most High God. Peter did the same thing. Right. And, and this, this angel does not do that. Right. You know, you, you want to bow down to me? Hence a connection to Joshua. Precisely. Ah. Hence a connection also to Joshua's point of the Zadi class that, you know, what did Yeshua do when he came? He came to reiterate his pledge to Israel that she was always his. Amen. I, I did. Um, I was one of the things, Gloria, that you brought up. That that was something that stood out stood out to me. That it, God says, you know, uh, I have not observed any iniquity in Jacob, and you know, He goes through and says, I haven't seen any of this stuff. And at first, I'm kind of like, wait a minute, were you just maybe the Torah here? Maybe not the yet. Last portion, yeah. right? Exactly. Uh, Next uh, one. Yeah. This is over the past thirty minutes. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, and we'll probably get into. I know we're going to get into the blessings in a second. Yeah. I mean, that, does that not just sound like amazing. something that God would say when we are in Yeshua, where it's like. That, that's what gets covered, is our iniquity, our sin, all of the past things. And so now it's like, I, I don't observe any of that in you. I would, I would go so far as to say that it is the epitome of how a father speaks of his son. Right? Yeah. I, was gonna, I was just going to say that a lot of it has to do with the relationship versus outside. Because I think about, like, you know, if, if, um, if you're raising a child, you will see all their problems. You will correct them. But if someone were to look at you and say, you know, wow, yeah, well-behaved kids, you're not going to go, oh, you should have seen them this morning. You're, you know, Baruch Hashem, absolutely, I have the best kids in the world. Because, for one thing, you are always defending your family. Amen. But then on top of that, a, a father who's, it says, a, um, love covers a multitude of sins. God loves his people so much that in the long run, it is as if Jacob has never sinned. He does chastise the, moment, the momentary thing, but ultimately, he is forgiven completely. Amen. And I, I don't want to minimize in any way the work of Yeshua or the fact that, you know, through his blood, we are cleansed. No question about it. 
But again, I think relationally, God's, God looks to Israel as his bride. We're learning about that on Tuesday nights. And clearly, the father-son relationship is well, father-child, whatever relationship is. That doesn't really apply in a lot of cases when the prophets point out directly what the child is doing wrong. And well, I, it does apply because fathers do correct their children. Exactly. And they do it to them not to the nations. They do it in private. So there's not, I'm not saying there's no correction. I'm just saying that when there's other people involved, the bride, the children are always lifted up. There's no blemish. There's no spot. Yes, that is my beloved son. That kind of thing. Okay. Um, we're going to walk into the uh, the oh, blood. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Yes. Um, another time if I were to say, I has three different times or something, he beats the donkey three times. He does. The donkey turns away three times. And it was basically to, because the donkey was afraid, he turns and sees this angel He's motivated by fear. His hands and has fear and turns away yeah. three times. So it's just interesting because he's trying to help um, Bilam because he doesn't want him to hurt either. Because he's right. That's kind of important. So. And the angel makes it clear. Times. Right. If the donkey hadn't done this, yeah, we we we'd be sponging you off the ground. Well, and Bilam says to the donkey, "If I had a sword, I'd kill you." <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, yeah. the angel opens his eyes, and he's standing there with a sword. And said, "I was about to kill you." Yeah. <laughs> with his sword. Well, he dies later. He dies by his That's right. You looking for a sword? Actually, the midrash says. When he said that about the sword, the donkey started laughing because the lamb was about to go kill an entire people by the word of his mouth. Yeah. But he can't kill a donkey if he doesn't have a sword. <laughs> you know, like if he if he was a real guy, he'd just kill the donkey. Like he'd just kill him. Yeah. It's laughable. I like those sages. Okay, we've been going at it for about an hour and a half. Yes. So, we <laughs> got the second verse. <laughs> so, we are not going to read out loud all of these blessings. So, as you'd like to pick and choose, please do. I will bring up that, um, at least in your version, it may say that uh, in chapter 23 and verse 24. Look, a people that rises like an awesome lion and raises itself like a lion. I believe uh, your version may say something about like a crouching lion. How is Israel in the exile like a crouching lion? Yes, sir. There's uh, some interesting things that are from what the sages say in the Kolosh. It has a couple of references to why it says a lion. And um, for the crouching lion, there's one that's for the rise like an awesome lion. It has to do with rising in the morning and prayers, which I thought was cool. Yeah. For the crouching lion, the idea is even in exile, even when they are at a point that most people would say you're at your lowest, they are still the people of God. They are still powerful Amen. because they're always following God. And the sages want to go off on that because the rest of the blessing is that that lion is going to just tear up what's around it. So how, 
how do you see this from a messianic perspective? <laughs> well, I'm, just I'm going to take the brown earth tones and whatever so they stop past them. I was just going to say about the, the blessing of Judah in, in Genesis 49. Yeah. Um, he crouches like a lion, like an awesome lion who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a scholar from his descendants. Yeah, there's a good parallel here. So, what's the deal? Flush it out. I mean, you got people in Gastonia. They don't know what we're talking about. Come on. So, the idea would be that the Israel is strong in the one in the lion who is strong, and the lion of Judah is Messiah. What is going to happen regardless of exile when Messiah Yeshua returns? The kingdom will be established. And he will gather whom? His people. He will gather his people, his elect, from the four corners of the earth. Where is he going to take them? To the by and by? Jerusalem. To Jerusalem, where he will reign as king. He will reign as king. And then, as the rest of the blessing goes on, he will discipline those who were bad to his people. So we're talking tribulation. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know. Adonai is this, God, Adonai is God is with him, and the friendship of the king is in him. Amen. So the, the friendship of the king there is incredible. So, what do you got as far as some of the blessings? Go. Uh, just as, this is actually from the from verse uh, seventeen. I see, but not now. I perceive. Yes. Here, a star will shoot forth from Yaakov, and a staff will rise from Israel. This reminds me, and the sages remark that the star is David, unlike Akiva, who said the star is Barakot. Right. So. But the sages actually say, no, no, well, you know, Akiva was wrong. It's David. But the stat speaks of Messiah. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that's very important is because this is exactly the question that Yeshua asks the sages of Israel in the week before he is he, he, in, he, in he, he dies in his resurrection. He asks the question, who was David speaking to when he said, my Lord? Said can, to my Lord. To my Lord. How can a son be over the Father. And the sages say, here, the Son is over the Father. This descendant of David is going to be supreme to David. I am going to read to you from page 1033 of my homage. You do have one like me. Two Mashiachs is the title of this particular commentary. Two Mashiachs means to Messiahs. This is an absolutely orthodox, in fact, I would say, if there were such a, thir- such a thing, ultra-orthodox. Ultra-Hasidic. Hasidic, absolutely. This has nothing to do with Christianity. This has nothing to do with the church. There were no Gentiles even hurt during the production of this book. <laughs> in addition, in, what's, what's especially remarkable about this teaching from this passage is, like you say, it's independent of Christianity. Yes. Yet Christianity, traditional Christianity, pretends to have invented this idea. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to read here. This is commentary on verses 17 and 18 in chapter 24. So if you want to read 17 and 18... 
I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but he is not near. A star will shoot forth from Yaakov, and a staff will arise from Israel. He will crush the princes of Moab. Who was Balak, the king of? Oh, Oops. crap. Don't you hate that? He will devastate all the descendants of Shechit. Edom will be possessed. Seir, his enemy, will be possessed. And Yisrael will grow strong. Here is the commentary. In his Laws of Kings, Rambam clarifies in detail how each stanza of Bilam's metaphor about the end of days contains a reference to King David and to Mashiach. Rambam chose to cite Bilam's parable as it is the only place in the five books of Moshe which indicates clearly that the final redemption will be brought about by Mashiach and not by God. God alone. God alone. Mm. Not by God alone. Thank you. Well, that's so cool. You know what? I believe that. With footnotes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> However, what is not clear is why Rambam cites Bilam's parable in such detail, quoting all four stanzas, which refer to Mashiach when just one of them would appear to have sufficed. Another question is why Rambam quotes all the parts of Bilam's parable that speak of King David, which do not appear to be directly relevant to the subject at hand, the scriptural proof for the messianic redemption. I'm waiting for the messianic redemption. Amen? Amen. A further problem is why Rambam refers to King David as the first Mashiach. Hmm. Why was David and David alone considered to be a pursuer, uh, a big, pardon, a precursor of Mashiach? Why he was clearly a great Jewish leader, King David did not, in fact, redeem the Jewish people from exile. So, why is David considered this Messiah? Why is Moshe not considered to be the first Mashiach, being that he successfully redeemed the Jewish people from Egypt? And if Mashiach simply refers to an anointed king, well, why didn't we choose Saul? Not as, as the first Mashiach, since he was anointed as king of the Jewish people before David. So you get the guys? And here he's, he's just got these questions, okay? So why, why are we talking about David? He didn't do any redemption. Why are we talking about Saul if we're talking about king and anointing? Well, he was first. Here's the explanation. While classical Jewish sources associate the coming of Mashiach with a host of startling occurrences, in his Laws of Kings, Rambam sought to explain the concept from a strictly halakhic or legal point of view. Thus, Rambam describes Mashiach as having essentially one single goal. Here it is. In his days, observance of the Torah's laws will return as in former times. That is, the Messianic era is determined by a complete return to Torah observance. Amen. And that's what you should have said. That's exactly right. I've not come to the Thus, according to the Rambam, the Messianic redemption is not a new phenomenon, but a return to that time in Jewish history when the Torah was observed fully. Consequently, Rambam describes Mashiach as renewing the Davidic dynasty, restoring it to its initial sovereignty. For Mashiach has to repeat the work of King David, which led to a time of total Torah observance. So King David was, in fact, or in effect, the first Mashiach, since the final Mashiach merely has to repeat the precedent that was set by King David. 
I refer you now to our Siddur and to the prayers we prayed this morning. Gladden us, Adonai, our God, with Elijah the prophet, your servant, and with the kingdom of the house of David. The kingdom of the house of David. Not the house of David, but the kingdom of the house of David. There's going to be a kingdom. You're anointed. May he come speedily. Who? Yeshua. And cause our heart to exult on his throne. Whose throne? King David's, and therefore his son, Yeshua the son of David. May he come speedily and cause our heart to exult on his throne. Let no stranger sit, nor let others continue to inherit his honor, for by your holy name you swore to him that his lamp would not be extinguished forever and ever. Bless you, Adonai. Shield of David. Amen. Those in the church that tell you that the, the Jews missed it, the Jews don't get it. The Jews are hopelessly lost. Are not reading the scriptures. That's why we read Romans 11 this morning, where Paul makes it clear there's a partial hardening. Why? For you. For you. Now we're going to talk about them? Oh, you guys are so hard. <laughs> I understand that you've been partially blinded and I'm okay with that. Because had you not been, I wouldn't have a chance. And now I've joined myself to you and the only reason why this community meets in my home and not down down Providence Road with the rest of Israel is because of two things. One, most of us, some company here accepted, are not that good at Hebrew. <laughs> and secondly, because we're not welcome, because we've already accepted Messiah Yeshua. And they haven't yet. yet. Give it time. Let's see what happens. Um, it's interesting that the three there's three blessings and then he comes back and he gives another prophecy of the end of the end of days. But the first blessing is or Archibald actually uses the word parable, uh, is really towards himself. And then the second one is directed towards Balach. And the third one is really a blessing over the nation of Israel. Uh, but it, but in the first one, you know, he says it starts out, uh, this is verse seven, um, of chapter 23, uh, 24. He claimed the parable and said, From Aram, Balaki, and Bob led me from the mountains. And he said, He's like, Okay, so here I am. I'm from Aram. Balak sent for me. I'm here. He wants me to come cursed. How can I curse? God hasn't cursed them. How can I be angry? Because God's not angry with them. And so he's basically like talking to himself and he's realizing this is a fuel exercise. This yeah. Right. So that's kind of that's kind of blessing number one. It's really he's really kind of having this kind of conversation with himself, right? And then Balak says, well, "What are you doing? You, you know, bless them. You know, let's go over here and they go over to the next place." This is no way to earn them. a paycheck. Let's, actually, let's, let's go where we can't see them because <laughs> maybe that's what's doing it, right? <laughs> and and here's again another reason why we know Balak is wicked because he's like, 
Okay, well, yeah, let's try it again. I, I really want this. Let's try it again. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work. Let's, let's do it again. So then, then the second, the second uh, parable that God gives him is now directed towards Balak. He says, stand erect, O Balak. This is verse 18. And here, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God's not a man that he should that he should lie, right. you know, etc. And he basically, you know, uh, goes through and and, and and says, "Look, you know, God, there's no iniquity in Jacob. God is not going to, you know, God is with them. He's in their midst. The king's in them. All of that. So it's like there's this. This is just not. There's nothing here, Balak. Give it up, right? So it's directed at Balak, you know. And then the third one is." They go yet again to another place, and then he says he gives a, a blessing uh, over you know over the nation. And this one's interesting because it, it starts out um, and it says in twenty four verse two, Alam raised his eyes and saw right, which that's Hebrew idiomatic expression, meaning he actually sees something, he has a revelation, as it were. And in fact, it, at that point. Uh, the spirit of God comes on him, and so then he gives this um, amazing uh, prophecy and blessing over the nation, much of which we pray every morning in the Shachri prayers. Matu. Starting in you know, verse verse five, Matuvu Ohalech Yaakov Mishkanapeka Israel. Right? How good are your your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. You know, you're like a water garden. You're flourishing by the cedars. You know, water flows from your wells. All of these, uh, all well, of these things. And then in verse well seven, yeah. And all the time, Balak's muttering at himself. He's doing it again. <laughs> right. In verse seven, he says, um, uh, "His king shall be exalt- exalted over Agag." You and, skip the and, wells. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's get me started. On yeah, Jonathan, Jonathan pushed the pass away. And, and his kingdom shall be upraised. Okay. One interesting point here is who's a god? A, we should all know who a god is. So who's a god when he says this? They're going, a god? This, this is one of three people that are prophesied in the, in the Torah by name. Before they're ever born, long before, long before they're ever born, a god right here is prophesied by uh, Bilam by name. You know, uh, several generations before he ever shows up on the scene. So that's the the power and the pro, the, pro, the level of the profoundness that we have in these prophecies. If, if you've seen the movies, hey guy. And then he continues, you know, again, this motive of the lion and, 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 and whatnot. So it's just interesting, the progression of these blessings. First, he's he's really kind of like talking to himself, like, they brought me here to do this, but this is not going to work. You know? And then to block, to like, block, give it up. God is not going to allow this to happen. And then he just blesses his spits it all. How many of you have heard in the church sermons that, Bilam was taken up by Balak to the to the high mountain, and he's now looking down on the encampment, and he sees that the encampment is actually in the shape of a cross, 
And he's blown away by Yeshua and therefore does this, your tents are so, are, are so good. How many of you heard that, that preaching before? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. So, I mean, it, I mean it's not going to be spoken of anymore. So, first off, if you were on a mountain in that day and you were looking down, based on what you read in the Torah, what would you see? Well, depends on... First of all, would you see them in the shape of a cross? What shape were they in? Probably a big square. But you know what? On the outskirts, it's probably going to turn into rounded edges, and you're just going to have a big circle. You know? Sunburst effect? Okay, but, but sure, but, but we're assuming that you can see that the tabernacle is in the middle and that it's color-coded. Look, all the Levites are in red. That's great. You know, Judah's got nothing but blue tents. <laughs> Could be. In the soft pastels. In the soft pastels. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So, is that Ruben Eisner in suits? But God's presence was there, right? Okay. Okay. Wow. So, so yeah. The, that, that was where I'm going. If we're looking over there, you're going to see a whole slew of tents, perhaps. But it's daytime, right? Got fire or cloud? We got the fire at night. So we got a really big cloud. It's a pillar of cloud that everybody can see. Not only can they see it, but they know when it moves. Because I guess it goes... And it makes that noise. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so I got this big pillar of cloud. So if there's anything that this man would see... What would you call it? He saw the presence of God himself. Just like every other Israelite, and just like everybody that they came to battle, everybody who watched them going by. I look a little parade, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's a little, you know, cloud. It's a hundred million people. Yeah, animals. Yeah, okay. But that's what he saw. Some would say he couldn't even see the tents because of the cloud. And that's, I'm, I'm leaning that way, that he couldn't even see the tents. But just, you know, on the outskirts around the edge, he could see because of this pillar of cloud. Because he's up above, right? So he's looking down on the cloud. I was thinking it was, a, it, was a, it was a little bit of a softer angle. Could have been. And he could, he could, could have been. So maybe it, maybe it, you know, it looks like either way, what would astonish him, I think, would be the cloud, not the layout of the tents. Now, but Joseph, he refers to the tents. He does, no question. So the sages want to know why do they, why does he, what does he see? Referring to the tents, because it's clear he's going to see some of them, whether it's outskirts, all of them, whatever. You know, if the angle's different, whatever. No surprise. What's he see? What's he say about them? And what do the sages say? Because there's two versions of the sages here on this, on what he's seeing. What's one? 
the modesty or how they have it's a modesty no man can see into another man's tent they turn their doors so they're all just every way kitty wonk is to where no matter where you stand in the door of a tent you can't okay this one doesn't work okay this one doesn't work that's cool wait no matter which that's cool I would I would suggest to you that one of the ways that your life is different than the world is modesty. Hmm. Your whole attitude with regard to sex is decidedly different than the rest of the world. <coughs> Praise God. I know, that was hard to, hard to believe. <laughs> but it really is. And it's, it's something that makes us unique because we don't buy into the the, the humor that's inappropriate. We don't buy into the dress that's inappropriate, uh, the gawking and the, the, the seeing and so forth. And of course, Paul speaks to this about the coarse jesting. So that's the first one that says you say. What's the second one? It's, it's in your Gutnik in case you got a Gutnik. <laughs> Good Jewish decorations. <laughs> Wait, what was it just about the tabernacle? Yeah. He's, uh, he's saying that the tents. It was obvious that the tents were so arranged, this is not the modesty one, the tents are so arranged that it's obvious that the men are discussing Torah, even when in their tents. That is the most ridiculous thing. We can can talk about, I'll tell you what, go camping with me, what are we going to do? Am I going to face my tent this way and yours that way? No! We're going to do this way, and we're going to talk, and we're going to be sitting in the tents, and we're still going to be talking about the Torah. I think it's either modesty or Torah. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. I agree, but I didn't say. Judaism could be both. You can talk to someone through a fabric. Two tents, three opinions. Uh, but also, it calls, it calls us back to the prophecy of Noah, where... Japheth will dwell in the tents, and that's why when we as a family pray and we sing Matobu, we re- we think about the fact that we have no right to be in the tents Amen. of Israel, and yet we've been given permission and included in the tents of Israel. And we can dwell in them with them. Amen. Yes. Pausing you off of um, like. I don't know about yours, but my good Nick talked more about actually the tents not facing the same direction. Right. It does both. It does so both. It talks about the not facing the same direction. Well, it's modesty to a degree, but it's talking about in that Torah discussion, when two men set themselves you know, apart, opposite each opposite other for discussion, the purpose is because they want their view to be superior, and they want to beat the other person in the discussion. Whereas by putting them basically... The same direction all, the, all along, but not facing each other in their entrances. The idea being that when they discussed, it was more about coming to a greater understanding of yes. God and His uh, Word and encouraging one another. Exactly, exactly right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's really. I mean, that's the difference between the church and the sages. In the church, there's got to be a right answer. In the sages, they will go out of their way to find another opinion. Just so they got something to talk about. Although, and I, I think know. that's so cool. If you look at how some of the sages talk, there's clearly one of them wants to be supreme. Oh, no question. I mean, if I'm going to argue with you, I'm going to argue until one of us falls down. <laughs> the best, the best example of that is in a traditional synagogue where the bema is not at the front, where everybody is moving off the guy that's preaching. He's the guy in charge. He's on the top. 
This is body language. It speaks to it. We, we, we sit our seats higher if we want to uh, well, make the an impression when we're interviewing somebody. That's right. We, we make sure that we stand, they sit. All these things we do for very good reasons. Posture. That's right. On the other hand, where is the Torah read? It's written in the center. Right in the middle. Amen. Yes. Just along the lines of the tents, it was, this was from Sanhedrin 106a that mentions this little story about Balaam and Balaam. And it's, it's actually kind of interesting because it's the tents that he ends up suggesting to Balak to sort of pervert in a way. Yeah. So he says, he, Balaam, says thus to Balak, the God of these hates lewdness and they are very partial to linen. Come, I will advise thee, erect for them tents enclosed by hangings in which to place harlots, old women without, young women within, to sell them linen garments. Mm. And then it goes on to show that that's actually what entices the children of Israel into the sexual immorality, which has caused that huge plague and just all that mess. So that, well, I have my linen shirt on. Linen. Why would linen be brought up by the cities? Who wore linen? Priests. The priests had to wear linen. Just in terms of what he saw in, in the first blessing, uh, verse 10, who has counted the dust of Yaakov? So there's a remez there. Or numbered the quarter of Israel. Um, as if to say, you know, the dust of Yaakov, that's remez also back to the promise Abraham. That, uh, that God gave Abraham. Sure. His descendants would be like the dust. Sand of the seashore. Uh, but and, and who can number the quarter of Israel? Is one of the ideas here is that from this particular vantage point in, in the first blessing, the, the multitude of Israel was so big that he, even from his vantage point, he couldn't he could see it. All. See, he could only see a quarter of the encampment, and it couldn't be numbered. Right. Yes. Yeah. So. And and the, the text goes out of the way to distinguish between the fact that at this point he can't see all of it, and the next time. He can. The, the other, He's got to go up higher to see it. The verse right before that, verse 9, second half, I love this too. Behold, it is a nation that will dwell in solitude and not be reckoned among the nations. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, when you're, when you're talking about, I mean, somebody, can you, can you guys just hum the Battle Hymn of the Republic for me while I do this? See, now that's in the background. Right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Hey. You know, but, that's there it is, and the Lord is coming back, and He is going to trample out. He's He's hitting on the nations. He's not going to hit on His own. He's not counted amongst them. It's a different counting. Yes. Well, what I was going to say is with the, with the tents. When He says, "Talk to how good they are your tents." Yeah. And, he, and again, when He says, "You can't even number a fourth part of the people." Well. I don't know about you, but if I stand on a mountain and I look down on a lot of people, I'm probably not going to see the people that clearly. So if I was to try to count, I'd probably count the tents. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a kind of connection there. Okay, so average average family size, four. Okay. Every Jew having completed the mitzvah. Yeah. I do like the fact that the, um, the two words that are used there, ohalecha and mishlekeka, are, are both words that are used to refer to the tabernacle. That's right. right. It is the tent of meeting. Right. It is the mishkan, the dwelling place dwelling of God. Place. Sure. And it's really kind of a cool concept. It's like I never saw that. That's the good. way that they live. 
the things that, that their lives, as it were, are sort of almost all, defined of, all by. about. In fact, just from the Hebrew, it's almost hard to tell. Is it plural, like your tense, right. or is it singular, your tent? So it's kind of a cool, again, a cool concept. Yeah. I, would hope that, I would hope that my house it, reminds me of like the sages. That talking. tent? Or is there all these tents? It's like the sages say that like, if you have a meal and you're not discussing things of God, then it's like idolatry yeah. because you know everything should ultimately point back to him. It's like every man's house is a castle, but every man's house is a tent. <laughs> or his or God's tent. All right, we close with the uh, end. Just one last comment on that point, which... Uh, which Ross Furlock had mentioned earlier, the prophecy to know to Japheth, to, to Noah's son, but, you know, it, it says, may God expand Japheth, Japheth, uh, may God extend Japheth, but he will dwell in the tents of Shem. In the traditional understanding is that the he there is Japheth, Japheth. There's another understanding that the he there is God. In other words, God will expand Japheth, and he, God will dwell in the tents. Amen. Amen. So in that connotation, again, it goes back to what Joshua was just saying. You know, the, the, the goodly tents, right, why are they goodly? Because he's there. He's in there, either in their tents or in the tent. Yeah, he's in their midst regardless. And in the Good. Age, it says that the, the Shekinah will dwell over each dwelling in Jerusalem. That's right. Not unlike the way that Shekinah rested over each Jew at the mountain. I'm going to read to you from chapter 24 and verse 20 from the Gutnik, which, as you know, can sometimes be cool and sometimes be oddly weird. Verse 20, when he saw the future retribution of Amalek, he launched into his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations to fight Israel. His end is eternal destruction. When he saw what would happen to the Kenites, he launched into his parable and said, How firm is your dwelling place? Your nest is set in stone. For even if the Kenite is laid waste in exile, how far will Assyria take you captive? Pondering the Assyrian exile, he launched into his parable and said, Oh, who can survive God placing these things on him? Ships will come from the Kittites. They will afflict Assyria and afflict the other side of the river, but he too will perish forever. Bilam got moving. He went off and returned to his home, and Balak also went on his way. I read in another version this week that Bilam needed to hurry and get away. Because Balak, of course, was getting madder and madder and madder. Um, you think he got paid? <laughs> so what was uh, what was it that came about from Bilam's recommendation to Balak? What, what was it that came about? A curse. What ultimately happened? Evidently, through Bilam's recommendation, twenty something people died in the plague. Make God, make God judge them. So God judged them, and twenty-four thousand of them died. What was it he recommended? Immorality. Immorality, which makes me lean towards the tent thing being, wow, can't see into anybody else's tent. That's cool. So, 
Can you see from this story, can you see from this particular portion how important your moral behavior is as a witness to whose you are in the world today? How you dress, what you say, how you look at others is extraordinarily important because it describes who you are and therefore whose you are. Amen? So we move into Pinchas next week because I believe it was the pinkster who threw the sword. What did he do? Verse uh, chapter 25 and verse 7. Pinchas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aharon, Hakoanim, saw what had happened and remembered the Torah. He stood up from among the congregation and prayed for them. <laughs> no, no, he, did, he didn't. He didn't pray for them. He laid hands. He laid hands on them. <laughs> well, in a way. Yeah, he laid hands on them. He didn't even say, oh, Lord, what should I do? He didn't do I that. I don't know True. what to do. He, he also did not say to the sinners, well, gosh, guys, I think you should repent because this doesn't look like a really good idea. That's why I wasn't in it either. Would you do a little romance for me? Uh, would you say, oh, it's a word that comes to mind. When you think pink has... Zeal. Zeal. It's zeal. zeal. So when you hear zeal, immediately, Ramez, you go temple. to the yes. temple who had zeal for his house, Yeshua. but Yeshua, HaMashiach, he had that zeal and made the court and whipped those guys out. In the same way, he didn't ask permission, he didn't pray about it. He kicked some butt and cleansed it. Pinkas, we'll see next week, ended up with a covenant and an incredible blessing from God because of his zeal. I'm not recommending that you take out anyone who might be in sin, but uh, I do think that his zeal knowledge of the Torah and immediate response is the pattern that I believe you should have and it is what I want to live by I want to be known by that I want to be known when I die I hope you'll all show up bring gifts to Alan by the way Um, when I die I hope you'll show up and everyone will stand up one by one and say yeah that guy knew the Torah And when something was wrong, he definitely told us about it. That's the only thing I want you to be able to say about me. The fact that I love my wife, the fact that I opened my home, the fact that I love my children, all that, to me is inconsequential compared to living for the Torah, which you cannot do if you don't know the Torah, and speaking unabashedly about it. I hope that you believe and notice that when I'm out in the marketplace, I speak the same way to other people that I do to you. That's why I originally started bringing my son to work with me when he was 12 years old. And people would ask me, so this uh, homeschool thing is kind of new, you know, what what, 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 what are you doing? Well, I'm bringing him with me so that the same guy he sees at the breakfast table teaching him the Bible is the same guy that you're talking to right now. He's here to hold me accountable. That's what we-
need to do. We need to know the Torah, we need to live the Torah, and when people aren't, we need to call them on them. Especially if they have the tenacity to call themselves believers in Messiah Yeshua. Amen? Amen. Final comment. I think it's also, with respect to this action that uh, Tenkas took, uh, th- this wasn't just... It also, it also calls for practice at the range. He hit the target. He hit the target. And his spear was sharp. This wasn't just kind of a this wasn't just a kind of normal sin transgression that somebody might do. Yeah, this is this open. would be this would be high handed according to the Torah, yeah. where they blatantly said and and, and he brought Cosby the Midian, which we didn't really talk about the Midian, right. that's we won't get into that, but he brought her, you know, into the tabernacle in front of everybody and was, you know, just totally blatant and open about it. So that that's high handed sin. A public type sin. Um, and you got lots of witnesses, so there's everybody knows what the answer is. And but Pinchas was the one who stepped up and executed the judgment. Exactly right. Unfortunately, we've seen the same type of disregard for the law and an immoral lifestyle in our own leaders in this in this land. And the media today simply laughs it off. It reminds me of Hanukkah with Matthias. Good. You know, with that same that zeal. zeal Good. Life. And he, yeah. not, not only am I not going to do it, this Shmo is going to do it, but yeah. Right. And who will come with me? There it is. Yes. Final comment from the man who's going to be a father. Oh, yes. so you are a father. I just can't see your child yet. <laughs> the, uh, the comment you made reminded me of uh, a verse in John that, when translated, we often misunderstand. Uh, but the Greek actually is quite clear. In the English, it says, "You search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life." And it is they that bear witness about me. And that translation can tend to lend itself to, it's either you have the Torah, eh, or but you got Yeshua. But the Greek actually says, it's an imperative, search the scriptures. Because you recognize in them you have eternal life, and it is these uh, that are testifying concerning me. So the zeal that we have for the Torah ultimately doesn't expire on itself, but always leads us to have ultimate zeal for Yeshua. Absolutely. And I know that no one would deny that, but I just think that's an amazing verse that we often kind of misunderstand, but the Greek says, search the scriptures, because this is all about him. And isn't that really what we're trying to do every time we come together? It's to see Messiah on every page in the Torah. That's what we're doing. Father God, we thank you for the Word of God, for for bringing retribution upon sinners. And inasmuch as you will punish sin, we thank you that there is now no condemnation to those of us who are in Messiah Yeshua. Father, we pray for your soon return, that you would sit upon your throne in Jerusalem and you would reign as your father David did. It would be soon and in our days. And Father, that you would find us faithful when you come. I thank you for those gathered. Pray you'll bless them. 
that in their rest you are glorified. Sanctify us through your commandments, Father, that we might be salt and light for this world. We pray these things, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, Adonainu, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks.